Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Justin Ruderman. And I'm Garrett Post. And today we have a packed episode coming at you with multiple competitions, uh, starting with the Premier League, Garrett. The relegation battle is getting really, really interesting with multiple teams involved. Uh, obviously, Watford are sitting there in the in the relegation uh, zone with Burnley, whereas Everton are sitting right outside of it. Leeds and Brentford as well hovering around. Uh, Newcastle seems to have you know found their way out of that fight, but it was Everton against Newcastle where Everton were able to get uh, a massive late winner as well as Leeds against Wolves getting a very late uh, winner as well in that relegation battle. So my question to you, Garrett, is which of those two late stoppage time winners was better? I have to go Awobi. I have to go Awobi. And I know it's like, oh, you know, bias. And I was celebrating like absolute mad. Uh, I remember it, it, there was quite a delay between me celebrating the goal going in and me texting you about it because my phone went flying and I could not find it in my room. And so I had to grab my laptop and open it and text you from my laptop. Um, but uh, it's just, we were down a man and incorrectly. So uh, in my opinion, and I don't even, I don't think that's really an opinion. It's a fact. And everybody has agreed with it. All of the pundits, you know, everything that I've seen is all, it's just not a red card for Allen. It just, it just isn't, it's a professional foul. Suspension like, has know, been upheld, hasn't it? And it has, which is absolutely ridiculous. And it's, you know, not the only time that this has happened, you know, there's been six, seven fraudulent VAR decisions that have gone against us this season. Obviously the Rodri handball, there was one, the game before that, a clear handball by Romeu. There was a tackle. Speaking of Newcastle, there was a tackle when we went to St. James's Park and lost 3-1 by John Joe Shelby on Anthony Gordon, which was a disgusting scissor leg breaker. And it wasn't even a card. And VAR didn't even look at it. And it was twice as bad as what Allen yep. did to, to St. Maximus. So just ridiculous. And so with all that adversity, with the stadium being how it was, uh, Goodison was unbelievable on Thursday. When that goal went in, the limbs, the, the noise... Uh, at Goodison, I, I have to go Awobi. Uh, and also, it was a much prettier goal than Luke Ailing's, that's for sure. Yeah, well, none of those goals from Leeds were particularly pretty, were they? Uh, ASO goals, U13 goals, Sunday League, whatever you want to call it. it they, they were poor finishes. Talking about uh, unjustified red cards, Raul Jimenez uh, got sent up for Wolves in that game. That second yellow was not a second yellow. Uh, he was just going for the ball and crashed into the goalkeeper. Uh, unfortunate. I think that the argument for Leeds is that it was a later winner, uh, you know, closer to the last Everton's was later time-wise, but closer to the final whistle was Leeds, right? Because Everton had those, what, 14 minutes of stoppage time or whatever it was due to the pitch invasion. Yeah, because of the, the, the protester that still blows my, I've never seen anything like that blows my mind. Yeah, tying your neck to the goalpost is a new uh, form of protest. Uh, but yeah, I think I'm gonna have to agree with you, Everton. I mean, Owobi was a, a great finish, uh, and and a great move. Leeds, well, as well. But you, but with Leeds, you're they're up a man. You're they were down two nil, right? They come back. I think it's a better story overall because they're you know down two nil. Obviously, the red card is massive and, and changes the complexion of the game. But 
uh, coming back and winning three, two is, is an incredible story uh, and, and, you know, a fun game to watch, but it's, it's understandable. I mean, they're, they're two, two by the 66th minute. You're thinking, okay, leads are going to find a way to win this one. Eventually they do. Whereas Awobi coming on the counter attack where Everton maybe didn't have a ton of chances down a man. And then he, you know, scores and rescues Everton in a really, really huge win, obviously uh, for Everton, which now puts them three points clear with two games in hand of Watford uh, in the fight to stay up. So, yeah, I think I'm going to have to agree with you there. You know, the the real thing is, as much as I was very annoyed about the Leeds goal going in, both of those goals were absolutely disastrous for Burnley. Um, you know, Leeds and Everton both increasing their chances, obviously with big wins of, of staying up. Uh, Everton's probability went from like 36% to 32%. If we're looking at 538, which has been, you know, the website we referenced it last week that I've been looking at and just kind of see what, how, where people are projected to finish and Burnley have now dropped to below, uh, or to above a 51, uh, 50% chance of getting relegated. They're at 51% according to 538 simulations. So, you know, even though they didn't play, those are two big goals against them in, in the fact that Leeds and Everton both picked up three points. Absolutely. And then we have another game with some incredible goals was Leicester city versus uh, Brentford at the King power stadium. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, incredible goals, all three of them. Uh, in fact, it was Castagne in the 28th minute, James Madison with a free kick in the 33rd and visa for Brentford in the 85th to make it, uh, a game late on, but Garrett, what was the best goal in this game? I think I have to go Castagna. I mean, the, the Madison free kick is, is vintage Madison and it, you know, him and Ward Prowse kind of come from the same school of little English boys who idolizing David Beckham growing up. Right. And then, you know, getting the curl and the top spin and, and getting it up and down. Uh, and it was like, it was in the corner more or less, but it wasn't absolute top vintage like Castagna's was, and he couldn't even believe it when it flew in his hands flew to his head. He was like, I did not just score that goal because that strike was so pure and you could not place it further in the top corner. So I have to go Castagna. What a strike. Uh, I think one of his first games back from injury as well. So uh, that, that was the pick of the bunch, but as you said, all three phenomenal goals. Yeah. I, I think I have to agree with you once again there. I mean, what a finish the very definition of upper 90 from Tim, Timothy Castagna, wasn't it? Uh, it mm. just put it absolutely, I mean, you physically couldn't take your hand and place the ball more in the upper corner than Timothy Castagna did. And he, the, the pace behind it, the uh, uh, technique, the control, everything was there for that strike. Uh, so yeah, best strike of the day. Uh, and, you know, normally the, the strike from Wissa would be a, uh, the best strike of most games, the best goal of most games. But in this game, it was uh, very much outshadowed. Yeah. Another pure connection, you know, hit on a, on a rope, almost perfectly straight arrowing into the corner with a lot of pace. And, and that's exactly what Castanez was as well. Just got their foot through the ball and, you know, heat seeking missiles for the side netting. Yeah. Uh, Brentford winning on expected goals, losing on actual goals. Um, and then the last very interesting game in the Premier League was Tottenham against West Ham. Uh, it was the Son and Kane show again. 
to me, this is, and it just brings up the question for me of the best duos in Premier League history, because to me, it is Kane and Son. They are the best duo to ever uh, grace the Premier League. I think that they are both underrated, which is saying something because they're, you know, considered world-class by many people. And I said it last week when we were talking about best wingers in the Premier League, I think Kyungmin's son is the second best uh, winger in the Premier League behind Mohamed Salah. And I think that Harry Kane is the best striker in the Premier League, undoubtedly. So I I just think that they're incredible. Their numbers are higher than any other duo uh, in Premier League history, but there are a ton of duos uh, who have graced the Premier League and been absolutely incredible. Kane, I believe, had three assists in this game. Son with two goals. So, very impressive. Yeah, I mean, they're they're number two for me, Justin. They're, they're number two. I have to go for Drogba and Lampard personally just because uh, you know, they, they actually won something. They had something to show for it. And I know mm. the Carabao Cup final is not mm. the Premier League, but at the same time, Kane and Son didn't show up to that game last year, did they? Mm. And, you know, obviously they had just sacked Mourinho. That doesn't help and whatnot, this or that. But the fact of the matter is that Drogba and, and Lampard didn't just score to break records and pad their stats and finish seventh every season, right? Mm. They, they were scoring goals that mattered. They were winning trophies, winning titles, winning champions leagues together. So as much as I think Kane and Son are an unbelievable duo and have a connection that is unlike, you know, many other that we've seen in, in the Premier League, I have to stick with Drogba and Lampard. Totally understandable. Absolutely. For me, that's one of the things that makes them so impressive is they are on a team that isn't, uh, you know, stacked enough around them to win, but they still produce these numbers. They didn't show up in that That's Champions fair. League final against Liverpool either, uh, did they? True. So, you know, they had that chance uh, to to match the Lampard-Drogba uh, connection in, in winning that Champions League, but couldn't find that uh, either. And it's a big win for Tottenham as well in the top four race, uh, isn't it? Because they are now sitting fifth behind Arsenal, uh, played one more game, three points back, but it puts them clear of West Ham now by three points with a game in hand. Uh, so a little bit of separation starting to form there between Tottenham uh, and then West Ham, maybe a little bit United as well. Yeah, it, it seems like a two-horse race now for the Champions League. North London race, spot, huh? And it is a North London race. And uh, the North London Derby, we still have to come, I believe, right, because of the, the postponement that occurred, um, it was supposed to happen, uh, I think, last month or maybe the month before. Um, so that will be a huge game. But just referencing 538, uh, yet again, they have Arsenal at 67% right now, Spurs at 25, and United at 8. So, you know, United's chances are dwindling more and more with both Arsenal and Spurs putting together really good runs of form. Arsenal picking up a win over Aston Villa thanks to a Bukayo Saka goal. My FPL team loved that. Um, so, yeah, it, it seems like that that North London derby, we might have two big pivotal games coming up, right? Obviously, City v. Liverpool could, you know, potential, potential title decider. And then we have the North London derby, which could be a, a Champions League who gets that fourth spot decider. Absolutely. Speaking of City v. Liverpool, uh, we can go to the FA Cup where they're, you know, we didn't do predictions on these uh, last week, but these 
all games all went the way you would have predicted, right? Nothing surprising yeah. here. Chelsea no. over Middlesbrough, City over Southampton, Liverpool over Forest. And then I guess the closest one would have been Palace over Everton. But I think that we both would have said a Palace in the form that both teams are in. And it showed with a, a, a resounding 4-0 win, wasn't it? Uh, anything, it was not uh, close. Uh, it was it was the furthest away out of it. It was the largest, you know, difference in scoreline right. between any of the four games. I honestly think the biggest surprise would be kind of how well Forrest did against yep. Liverpool. And, you know, we kind of expected that they've been playing really well in the cup, you know, uh, took down some other teams um, and, you know, it was at uh, the city ground. But the fact that they held out almost 80 minutes before Diogo Jota finally broke through. Uh, you know, fair play to Forrest, really good campaign for them. Uh, and I do really hope they get promoted, you know, fantastic historical club. Um, but Liverpool did deserve to win this game. You know, looking at the stats here, seven shots on target to one, 14 to six, 65% possession. So, you know, they, they were good value for that Jota winner. Absolutely. And I say uh, City v. Liverpool because that is now the semifinal. It is a City uh, versus Liverpool and Chelsea versus Palace with uh, no more championship teams left after Forrest and Billsburg go out. Uh, fully Premier League now. Garrett, who do you have in these semifinals to put you on the spot a little bit? Uh, I'm going to go City and Chelsea. Yeah, I think that I would go the same. I'm sure a lot of people would pick Liverpool, uh, but it's going to be interesting because within a, within a month, City play Liverpool twice and Atletico Madrid twice uh, in the Champions League, of course. So major games. Uh, it is going to be a big, big month of April for Manchester City. I just can't have Liverpool winning the quadruple, man. Like, that would just, oh, <laughs> the pain, the pain. Uh, I think a quadruple is pretty come unlikely. On come on, City. Come on, City. Speaking of, we can move to the Champions League uh, where a Premier League team did get knocked out, but it was not Manchester City and it was not Liverpool. It was Manchester United uh, losing 1-0 to Atletico Madrid at home for an aggregate loss of 2-1. Garrett, walk us through this one. Tell us what happened for Manchester United to go out. I mean, just poor defending Renan Lodi, the, the defender playing as like a wing back, uh, or he came up, won a header at the back post, and United just had no answers uh, for, for the rest of the match, only five shots on target at home. And, and we both predicted this, Justin. We both saw it even after the 1-1 first leg result, you know, when, when United snatched a late equalizer through Anthony Alonga. Uh, we both just kind of saw Madrid uh, Atleti pipping them to it. And, and that's exactly what happened. United go crashing out and I'm, I'm not surprised whatsoever. Yeah. We both did predict this when we uh, said our, our champions league predictions prior to this round, I think that just uh, Atleti find a way. And it's why I'm, you know, we now play Atleti uh, in the next round and I think that it's a good draw for City because I think that there are definitely worse teams to face, Bayern, Liverpool, Chelsea. But I think that Atletico Madrid are set up to beat a team like Manchester City. As they showed against United, they can sit back and defend uh, for, they feel, 90 minutes. They can do it as long as they need. Uh, that is Simeone's way. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I still feel confident, but it's, it's a weird draw for me in my opinion. Uh, but we both saw this one coming. 
we'll do we'll do Champions League predictions for the next round later on. Uh, but speaking of predictions, I was very wrong when it came to uh, Ajax and Benfica. I thought yeah. Ajax would smash this. Coming in, they had uh, not won or not lost a single game in the Champions League. They hadn't even drawn. They were six of six wins. Uh, they were going, you know, one or two, two, excuse me, back home to the Johan Cruyff Arena. I thought, okay, Ajax are ready to go take this. They, they, they've got it under control. They're, the stats, I mean, they dominated nearly 70% possession. They had 16 shots. But Benfica, one shot on goal, it's all they needed. They buried it and are, are advancing. Yeah, I was also wrong. I, I thought Ajax would go through, but I do remember – warning you saying i think it's gonna be closer than you think and indeed it was so yeah i mean a, a bit of a shock there i actually have been playing so well uh they did get uh, a a bit of a you know not revenge but uh over the weekend they won a, a big game against Feyenoord through a, a late goal from antony so you know a li- spirits have picked up a little bit in amsterdam but you know definitely a shock defeat at home and that must be just so frustrating, you know, going out because of the one shot on target. You can see it in the entire second leg. Uh, but if we're looking at predictions, Justin, there's no better prediction. There's no better prediction than me saying Villarreal would beat Juventus. I went for a punt and not only did they beat them, they smashed them, Justin. It was 1-1 after the first leg. Uh, and Villarreal just blew them away in Turin. Uh, but, you know, all three goals coming towards the end of the game, it was Gerard Moreno who opened the scoring with a penalty all the way in the 78th minute. So it look, looked like it was going to be a very close tie, potentially going to extra time. Uh, but then Gerard Moreno scores that goal. Uh, seven minutes later, Pau Torres, 85th minute header, and then another penalty from Danjuma in the 92nd minute, and Villarreal end up winning 4-1 on aggregate, you know, beating Juventus 3-0 in their own stadium. I mean, crazy results. And I, I predicted it, but even I didn't see this coming in the second leg after the way the first leg went. But I, I'm buzzing. That's a great prediction. I'm, I'm, I'm writing that in the Hall of Fame right there. <laughs> oh, man, in my defense, I, I didn't account for Weston McKinney getting injured so that that'll be my excuse um but yeah i mean f- fantastic prediction garrett i think that most people you know know that juve are are struggling they're in a bad time right now uh it just hasn't been their year uh or, or you know they're they've been struggling really for a couple years now they're sitting fourth in Serie A right now so they're pretty comfortably gonna get that champions league spot but definitely not challenging for the title as of right now. So that that's just weird to see from Juventus. And so, you know, they're having a down year, but that doesn't mean that they go and lose to Villarreal uh, in the round of 16 in the champions league. So very surprising, uh, not good for Juventus fans, but uh, very good for Villarreal. I mean, winning the Europa league last year and now heading into the quarterfinals of the champions league, showing that they are a, a tournament team. They're, they're prepared to uh, compete with anybody over two legs. It seems. Yeah. And when I made that prediction, I was praising Unai Emery and the job that he's done at Villarreal. And, you know, that just keeps rolling on doing a fantastic job. And as we said, they're a team that are more than the sum of their parts, 
uh, you know, play so well as a unit, uh, a very solid identity, which I think is, you know, always one of the most important things when we're looking at good teams becoming great teams. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it was a surprise, but not an un- unwelcomed one. I like VRL, but uh, something that was not surprising. We both predicted Chelsea would beat Lille, and they did do that, of course, uh, winning the second leg 2-1 here to win 4-1 on aggregate. A, it was a Christian Pulisic goal, which uh, got Chelsea level, actually, because Yilmaz scored a penalty, uh, gave Lille a bit of life in the tie uh, to make it 2-1, but Pulisic scored to equalize it, and Asba Laqueta put the final nail in Lille's coffin. But good to see Pulisic on the score sheet, of course, coming into a absolutely monumental World Cup qualifying window, which we will be talking about later on uh, in this show. Um, but Chelsea going through, as we both predicted, no surprises there. Absolutely. And then what still has to be considered the biggest rivalry in world football, uh, even though, you know, Barcelona have fallen off a little bit, Real Madrid are not quite what they were uh, when Cristiano was there, but it is El Clasico. uh, It is at the Santiago Bernabeu and it was a smashing of Real Madrid by Barcelona Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang looking an incredible inspired signing uh, with a brace. Araujo getting on the score sheet in front. Torres, who missed a couple chances, was able to put one in the back of the net. It was 4-0 Barcelona. It could have been more. Ten shots on target. It it was incredible to see. I mean, some people were saying Barcelona are going to win this game because of uh, just the way that Real Madrid are a little bit looking past it. They're focused on UCL. They've already... Uh, looking good in the title race, whereas Barcelona, Benzema this was is what Barcelona has. Sorry? Benzema was in the stands as well, so that obviously right. didn't help. Right, yes, exactly. Benzema not able to play. Um, and this was the game that Barcelona have left in their season that, that's really, really big for them, and they were able to capitalize. Yeah, I mean, just utter class from them, to be honest. Uh I was singing Luka Mudras's praises, uh, but, you know, Real Madrid was getting overrun in midfield. Pedri was phenomenal in this game. Frankie de Jong was phenomenal. Uh, as you said, Aubameyang, he could have had a hat trick easily, but had a couple chances he didn't convert. Um, I mean, yeah, it could have been seven. It could have been eight even. Um, although the XG says that the the 4-0 scoreline was relatively accurate. Uh, actually, philosophy says... for Barca, 0.83 for Madrid. But that honestly seems low on the Barca side for me because Ferran Torres missed a sitter. Aubameyang put a a huge chance right at the keeper and then had one where he was sliding in at the back post and couldn't get full connection and it went just wide. Uh, It was just a class performance from Xavi's side. Uh, Domination all across the park. They just looked so much the better side. They looked so much more up for it. They look more composed, more competent on the ball, even, uh, you know, really encouraging performance for them, uh, especially Xavi coming in. And, and I am quite impressed with the job he's doing. Barca have been unplayable recently in La Liga. I think this is now like six or seven games in a row. They've scored four goals, which is crazy. Um, I, I saw some tweet about that where they've just been scoring goals for fun with the additions of Aubameyang and Adama Traore. Usman Dembele looks the best he's looked since coming to Barcelona in a, a deal that, you know, until 
now, and I'd still consider it to be a unbelievable overspend, but he has been amazing so far. He actually, Justin, here's a stat for you. Since the turn of the new year, there is no one in Europe's top five leagues with more assists than Usman Dembele. So, you know, Barcelona totally deserved this, this victory and this dominant victory. Uh, and, and you say it is, you know, it was the, the biggest game left in their season more or less, but they are still in the quarterfinals of the Europa League, and they could still be taking home silverware if they keep playing like this. So, absolutely, absolutely, they could. Uh, yeah, great point you have on Dembele there, uh, really rejuvenating his form and looking inspired. Um, but as you say, yeah, Barcelona in incredible form, they've scored four goals in four of their last five games, uh, in La Liga, as you say, which is just okay, ridiculous. Yeah, and, they've scored, I mean, and they scored four in some before that as well, because I saw a whole string of a bunch of results. Yes. I'm just banging in goals. Right. Yeah, they, they're able to put in goals because they're creating. I mean, you say that they're X, those XG numbers. Anytime you get above four XG, usually you're going to see six of them go in the back of the net because it means you are just yeah, yeah. pounding chance after chance after chance. And that is what Xavi has been able to create at Barcelona. When you watch this team now, they're they're moving the ball around very easily. They're not r- running around nearly as much as they used to. Uh, they just know their positions. They're running into spaces that a, a teammate has just vacated. It, it's much more fluid. It's much better to watch. Others uh, are people are calling Xavi Pep 2.0 already. Uh, he has come in with very very high expectations. Obviously, with his ability. And he's proving everybody right so far. He is really, really incredible from what we have seen. Uh, And I hope that he can continue and bring Barcelona back to where they should be. Yeah, totally agree. And then we can come back to America, Garrett, uh, after all of that European coverage. I think that is something that is, is so great about this podcast is that we can cover everywhere in the world, uh, with, no matter where it is, if, if there's big stuff going on, we will go and cover it. And that is the MLS because there's just so, so many storylines every single week in this league. It's hard to keep up. Uh, it's just so competitive and there's always going to be an upset. There's always going to be a, a wild game. And we have a few of those. I think that we can begin with uh, FC Cincinnati, who are able to get a 3-1 win over into Miami at home at the TQL, TQL Stadium. Uh, it was Brandon Vasquez with the brace, Matarita with a goal, and a, he had an assist as well. He played very, very well, uh, man of the match for me in that game. But it's it's Cincinnati who are now, you know, actually starting to, to play a little bit in, in MLS, right? They got... Uh, a win against Orlando City. Now they get a win against Miami. It's, I believe, their first time ever getting back-to-back wins. Are they no longer bottom feeders in the MLS is the question. I'll say no, they are no longer bottom feeders. And that's because Inter-Miami are absolute garbage. Uh, and, <laughs> and so are the Quakes at the moment. And I can't pretend like we're not. There's, uh, what, four teams stuck on one point at the moment. That's Montreal, Miami, the Quakes, and Vancouver. But I I think Miami are by far the worst uh, out of those four sides. I think they will end up with a wooden spoon. So, sure, yeah, we'll give Cincinnati 
they're they're not bottom feeders anymore because there are teams worse than them. But it's kind of like an Everton situation, you know. Everton might not get relegated. They they should. They deserve to get relegated, but they might not because there are somehow teams that are worse. So that's what I'll say with Cincinnati. Two wins in a row, great for them. Uh, so no, they're not bottom feeders, but they're not good either. Yeah, on six points through. Uh, four games right now, sitting right middle of the pack, eighth uh, in the East. So just below that playoff line. Imagine Cincinnati make the playoffs this year. That would be a very, very surprising result for everyone, I think. I don't think anybody would have predicted that Cincinnati fans alike. Uh, and from bottom feeders to contenders, Garrett, we have surprise contenders so far in each uh, conference. In the East, it is Chicago Fire who look very, very good. Uh, they were able to get a 3-1 win over Sporting Kansas City this week after beating DC United 2-0 last week. Uh, this is impressive. I mean, they are, you know, Shakiri has is, is the big signing, right, of the season for them. And he's hit the ground running. He's started producing uh, for them. But the question is, Will they continue to be contenders? Uh, because we also see in the West, right, similar to them, we see RSL, who normally not a great team, like Chicago, but they were able to find a 2-1 win over Nashville, having beaten the reigning supporter Shield winners 3-2 in New England last week. They are sitting uh, near the top of the table in the West in second place, uh, even on points with, with LAFC, as Chicago is only two points behind uh, East leading Philadelphia. So both of the teams looking very good, but which one is for real and which one is maybe we're just start seeing a good start from them. I, I think RSL are more likely to be for real. I'm not sure I'm convinced either of them are for real, but if I had to pick one to be for real, I'd definitely go RSL. And that's because, you know, Chicago, yeah, playing a bit better. Both these teams unbeaten, you know, two of the six unbeaten teams left in the league, but RSL at the back half of last season, as we talked about last week, this is all just momentum coming in from the back end of last season when, you know, they did end up falling short, but late winners, shock results, big upsets. And, and they just haven't looked back really since then, uh, despite, you know, eventually falling uh, to Portland uh, in the playoffs last season. But uh, I, I think that they're more for real than Chicago are. The East is kind of all over the place right now, and I don't really understand what's going on. Columbus looked like <laughs> they're, you know, picking back up a, a bit from obviously what was an extremely disappointing season for them last year. I think Philadelphia we knew would be towards the top of the table, but Atlanta are showing a lot of inconsistency. Orlando are showing a lot of inconsistency. As you said, they lost to Cincinnati, which is not a good result uh, for the Florida side. Um, so I, I'm still going to go RSL. Because uh, at the end of the day, if, if we, we want to be super simplistic about it, I know we're only four games in, but being second in the West is a lot more impressive than being third in the East, in my mind. That's absolutely true. Uh, but I think it's also the logic for why I'm going to pick Chicago, because in the West, it's going to be much harder for RSL to actually compete and really be a contender. They're going to have much more difficult games week in, week out, whereas Chicago... Uh, is going to have an easier schedule. They're going to have an easier time of it, easier to make playoffs uh, and all of that that comes along with it. For me, 
as you said, they're still riding off of uh, last season, that momentum. It's working out really well for them, obviously. I mean, they've beat three teams who we consider to be uh, top teams in the league, right? Uh, but you just look at them on paper and they're really not that good. I mean, they can go and beat Seattle in Seattle, beat New England in New England. I mean, those are probably by most people's standards, the best team in the West and the best team in the East. They went and beat them, both of them away from home. That is as impressive as it gets right there. But when you look at them on paper, I don't see anything that uh, makes them stand out. I, I just, they're very, very average and probably below average in most areas. I think that the other thing to me is when you compare their strikers, I think both of them are, are underrated MLS strikers, right? Bobby Wood, who maybe gets a little bit more credit because of uh, the history he's had with the U.S. and et cetera. But uh, Bobby Wood and Kasser Shabilko are probably two of the more underrated strikers in MLS. Uh, but to me, Shabilko's a, a little bit better. I think that he uh, is more consistent. And I think that when you put Shakiri behind him to create, that's that's they're going to be able to score goals there with those two. And then you just put some pieces around them. And then I think the other big difference that I see uh, is their goalkeeper, Gagas Lanina. Uh, this guy is an extreme talent. I mean, he will be in Europe very, very soon. Uh, and going to be competing for that U S national team spot soon enough, probably because he is so young and has, I mean, he, if I'm not wrong, he has the youngest, he signed the youngest contract. I think it's been passed up by uh, some kid from New York city FC, uh, but he signed a, a professional MLS contract at 14 years old or something like that uh, because he, he's, he's just so talented and he has kept multiple clean sheets already this year. He says that he wants to win the golden glove. He's very ambitious and very, very talented. Uh, and I think when you put all those together, that Chicago are going to be able to find a way into the playoffs uh, and be a contender in the East more than RSL in the West. Yeah, I feel like it's, you know, two sides of the same coin. Being in the Western Conference in, in this case is both a blessing and a curse. But for me, it's just Chicago. It's more of a, a good start, but it's still, you know, you look underneath and you look at what Chicago actually are and what they've actually been. And you can't forget that they finished 12th in the East, which is the, the lesser conference. They finished 12th last year. And I don't think just Shakiri and Shabilko are going to be able to keep them consistently higher. You know, sure, they could make the playoffs. I, I don't doubt that. But I, I think RSL still have more MLS experience. I think that the fact that they've done it for more than just four games and that they did it the whole you know, end of last season made a great run to get into the playoffs and then made a great run in the playoffs just kind of tells me that I just think that they're a, a, a more solid unit overall, even if you think that, you know, they're a bit average in terms of talent, that's fair. But, you know, there are teams who can do well in this league with not the greatest of talents. I think Colorado last year is a perfect example of that. So, uh, I mean, it, it's a really good question, Justin. And, and, it remains to be seen. It will be definitely something to be keeping our eyes on. Absolutely. And from uh, two teams with underrated strikers to a striker that's getting all the hype right now, it is Jesus Ferreira. It is FC Dallas. He scored a, a hat trick within 10 minutes against Portland, uh, starting in the 26th minute. The third one came in the 36th. Uh, he is on the USMNT roster uh, for this World Cup qualifying window. 
He also got an assist in this game for Paul Ariola's goal. He is balling in all types of ways. What is his future going to look like, Garrett? How is he going to progress? Is he going to go to Europe? Uh, I mean, what do we think of Jesus Ferreira? Obviously, coming through FC Dallas after uh, Pepe has just left, who got all the hype and maybe overshadowed Ferreira a little bit. Uh, but now that he's gone, Ferreira is getting all the spotlight uh, and, you know, he's taking it. Yeah, I mean, I don't really want to spoil uh, what I have to say about the USMNT coming up, but I do think Ferreira could be a, a major component in that, and I do think we could see him in Europe um, sooner than later. I, I don't know if he'll get you know launched. Obviously, he won't get launched into it as early as Pepe, who is two years younger than Ferreira, but uh, I, I do really like Ferreira, and I do think he's a good talent, and I do think we could see him in Europe. I think he, he could probably develop – from a few more years in the MLS, especially if he can get to a really dominant level before he ends up making that jump. Um, just kind of thinking of, of other MLF, uh, MLS players who have done it. Obviously, Alfonso Davies was really young, but he was playing at a top level in MLS for multiple seasons before he left. Same thing with Miguel Almiron. So, yeah, I think Ferreira in Europe is, is definitely a possibility. Um, I just think, you know, maybe the end of next season could be a time that we could see that happen. Um, but I, I don't know if I would make that move at the end of this season, if I were him or, you know, have one of the agreements where he gets signed over the summer and then, and then leaves once the MLS season is done. Um, but I, I do think that he is an important player for the USMNT at the moment with, you know, some of the injuries that we have and, and I'll discuss that more later, but what are your thoughts on Ferreira? Yeah, I think that, I think you give a very good timetable there. I think at the end of next year, um, would be the latest that he goes. I think that he, he has potential to go earlier, but I think that that is the most likely time that he will go is the end of uh, the next MLS season. Because I think, you know, Dallas want to capitalize on him a little bit, uh, have him, you know, work with Ariola who just came in and Pomacall who is as well rising and likely to move somewhere uh, in the next few years, maybe a little bit slower than Ferreira. Um, but yeah, I, I think that he definitely will be in Europe. And I think that he's succeeding. I think he'll succeed in Europe because I think his, his goal scoring instinct is really, really good. And I also think that he, uh, there are strikers who can score goals and there's strikers who can do both and create goals and score goals. And that's what Jesus Ferreira is. He can drop deeper. He can play a 10 role uh, similar to, you know, if you want to give an MLS comparison, maybe Chicho Arango, who, who I think is, you know, Obviously, I'm an LAFC fan, but I think plays a similar idea because he played a 10 at Millonados in Colombia, and now he can go go up top, and he has a very quality goal-scoring instinct. If you're looking at somebody in Europe, maybe Harry Kane, who is is very good uh, finisher, but also drops deeper and will play through balls to his uh, wingers to, to go through and finish as well. And then, Justin, we can move on to uh, what was probably the game of the week uh, at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. It was a, a, a crazy game. Started with Joseph Martinez opening the scoring for Atlanta. Uh, obviously a player that we know on his day, if, if he can stay fit, it is one of, if not the best players in MLS. Unfortunately, we just haven't been able to see that uh, because of injuries as of late. Uh, but he opened the scoring, but uh, Montreal would end up scoring three quick goals towards the 
end of the first half. First, it was Mihailovic in the 28th minute, then Kone in the 37th, and Romel Kyoto scored a penalty in the 42nd. And then when Dom Dwyer characteristically got sent off for Atlanta, leaving them down two goals, down a man, it looked like all hope was lost and that Montreal would be picking up their first win of the season, but not so fast. Tiago Almada, who we both predicted to be the newcomer of the year with an absolute golazo to make it 3-2, keep Atlanta's interest alive. And then in the 92nd minute, Brooks Lennon steps up to take a free kick. Uh, Brezza, the Montreal keeper, just decided not to move until the ball was six (laughs) yards away from goal. He can't keep it out. And it ends up being a dramatic three all draw uh, crazy finish to this game. What a comeback for Atlanta down a man down two goals, looking dead and buried in the second half. But I just, I just can't not think about the goalkeeping Justin. Cause I texted you when I saw it and I genuinely think I could have saved that. I, I, I think I would have saved that. Like you take three steps to the right and jump and you catch it. I mean, the free kick is 28 yards out maybe, like he had more than enough time and he just reacted so, so, so late. That's not like he was unsighted. I, I just don't understand what was going on there. Obviously Atlanta are not going to complain. They will take it. The Almada goal was a golazo. You can't, you know, argue about that one whatsoever. The, no discredit to the keeper on that one, but that free kick, Justin, ah. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's unfortunate for Montreal because they, they fought really hard in this game. Um, but yeah, the goalkeeping was not there on the free kick, and Brooks Lennon was able to find a way. Uh, wild, wild ending. A big result for Atlanta. I mean, they shouldn't be losing at home to Montreal. And so for them to find a way back down a man uh, shows that they are not going to be easy to uh, brush aside in the East. I think that we both expected them to have a comeback year this year. And I think that this shows they're ready to, they have that mentality that we're not going to just be losing uh, and dropping points to, to random teams that we shouldn't be doing. So uh, even if we're down three, one to a poor team, we're going to find a way back and get a point. Uh, and, you know, Georgie Mihaljevic, uh getting a goal is nice to see. He's getting a lot of, uh, calls to be up with the with the u.s national team now that aronson's out uh but he's not going to get that call up it seems but yeah good to see him getting on the score sheet uh as a u.s fan and uh we we like these games in mls this is why mls is so entertaining to me elsewhere in the eastern conference justin charlotte fc picking up their first win uh, in club history against New England, of all people, who yeah. what is going on with New England, Justin? This is bad result after bad results right now. Uh, yeah. Bruce Arena's men, I just, how is this the right, the same team that broke the MLS regular season record last season? I mean, I guess it's kind of shades of LAFC, uh, you know, the year after they broke the record. Uh, I'll just throw that out there. But this is oh, about yeah. Charlotte picking up their first three points. It was Carol Svidersky scoring two fantastic goals uh, to, to give Charlotte, uh, uh, I guess the second one gave them, the, the both of them gave them the lead because Svidersky first scored in the sixth minute. Uh, Carlos Hill, reigning MLS MVP, of course, scored a penalty to make it 1-1, but then just three minutes later, Svidersky scored again. Uh, the DP coming up clutch for Charlotte and then Ben Bender, 
uh, in a 64th minute, gave them a bit of breathing room and New England kind of went down with a whimper. Big three points for Charlotte at home, stadium rocking. They're big players showing up when they needed them to. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one? And, and what do you think is going wrong in New England at the moment? Yeah, I mean, wow. Well, first of all, congratulations to Charlotte, uh, obviously, yeah. with their, their first win. Uh, we like to see that. I just, New England, man, this is, it's very, very poor. Um, I see what you're saying about, you know, LAFC poor, but we made a little bit of a run in the CCL. If you recall the year after we won that supporter shield in 20, we, we yeah, yeah, yeah. got robbed final, a little right? bit of that champions league. Whereas new England, a little bit of a choke job this week, uh, up three nil going into the second leg and losing somehow to Pumas, uh, in penalties. Wow. Who was it who missed the penalty? Who was it who missed the decisive one? Sebastian Legette, our back pass merchant. But it's more, I mean, I know, it's you're, more I know, that, I know you're smiling about that one a little bit, Justin. I know. I know oh, yeah, there's a smile on my face. Don't worry. But uh, but no, I mean, it's it's about New England. I mean, three bad losses within a week, really, within seven days. You lose at home to RSL. You go and lose uh, the the second leg when you're already up 3-0. Uh, and then you go and lose in Charlotte three, one and give them their first win. This is, it's a worrisome skid uh, for new England. They have Red Bull up next, which is not going to be a tough game after that. Lucky for them, they get to go and play inter Miami, which, which is not going to be, be an a... easy game. You mean? <laughs> yes. It is going to be a tough game. Red Bulls are good side. Sorry. Did I misspeak? Yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I was, maybe I was thinking ahead to inter Miami where I was saying that is an <laughs> yeah. easy game. Uh, and they get to, you know, take a win there and then they'll face Charlotte again. So maybe they can find a way back uh, from this skid, but definitely not great for them. Can you imagine if they lost in Miami? That's not going to happen. Uh, like, but, yeah, but at the same time, I, I want it to, because that would just be, you, you know, the whole uh, Matt Doyle hashtag root for chaos. I, I could kind of get on board with new England, just completely tanking. That'd be quite hilarious to be honest. <laughs> we can go to your team, Garrett, who again lost this time one nil uh, to Minnesota. It is, I mean, San Jose have been, you know, poor for years. They don't get the backing. Almeida came in. Uh, we thought, you know, things would turn around a little bit because of his, you know, illustrious history coaching down in Mexico. And, he hasn't been able to turn it around. Now he finally gets the backing this year, finally brings in some players, spends a little bit of money and can't get the job done. Garrett, as a Quakes fan, what's the opinion on Almeida? Is he a fraud? Should he, should he stay? Is he not getting the time? Is he, should he, should he be sacked? Tell me about it. Justin, he's a fraud. Wow. I, I'm putting wow. it out there. I, I think he's fraudulent. I, I, I think he's fraudulent. Okay. Maybe not an entire Maybe not entirely a fraud. That's that's my emotion speaking. But he's definitely there's definitely some fraudulence here, Justin, because his whole M.O. coming into San Jose is, oh, he takes these bad teams and through his tactics, he overhauls them and turns them into contenders. And he did it in Argentina and this and that. And, you know, Chivas were garbage until he showed up and then they won a CONCACAF Champions League and this and that. But the fact of the matter, Justin, is that I look at this. And it's just, there's so many decisions where I'm like, this is not, you not having backing 
where, you know, obviously that's part of it. It, it could be a lot better. I'm not going to pretend like it, it couldn't, but I also look at this and he's playing Eric Remetti at center back. Uh, you know, our best center back is out for like eight weeks. And then our second best center back is playing right back. Like, I just, I, I don't understand it. We had, we had 63% possession on the road in this game, but Justin, we had zero shots on target in 90 minutes. Yeah. It, it, I just, like, yeah, people, I, here's the thing. It's just a, it's just a toxic situation because Almeida hates the ownership at this point. I think the ownership don't like Almeida either with, you know, how outward he is about. Yeah. I don't see why they the would. And the fans are kind of, the fans hate both of them because I don't like Almeida, nor do I like the ownership. It's just a mess. Uh, and and I, I am, you know, kind of laughing while I'm saying this because it's just I can hear the frustration. Mess. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not even frustration. I just think it's it's almost comical. It's like, you know, it's a, it's kind of a circus. Um, so I don't know. The thing is, Quakes fans are, are jaded at this point. I, I'm kind of over Almeida. But at the same time, you know, I'm very, very over the ownership uh, of Fisher and, you know, A's fans 100% agree after trading away their best players for the umpteenth time under his ownership. Um, so uh, I don't even know where to start, Justin. Uh, you want him sacked? I don't know what I don't know what the solution is. I don't know. Um, I honestly am kind of ambivalent to it. If, if he stays till the end of the season, I think we all know he's not staying beyond the end of this season. There's no chance, no yeah. chance. So if he stays till the end of the season, whatever, if he gets sacked, whatever, uh, at this point, I'm, I've, I've already kind of written this season off. I had, you know, four games in, we're writing the season off, it. are we? Because look at the decisions and look at the, the stat, like Justin here, Andrew Weeb on Twitter pointed out that so far you say, oh, only through four games, but through those four games, we have generated the fewest amount of XG in the entire yeah. league. And we have allowed the greatest amount of XG in, in the wow. entire league. And we haven't been necessarily getting blown out. Like this was only a one nil loss, but what that points to to is that it's not like the results aren't reflecting the performances. The performances are worse than the results and the results <laughs> are pretty bad. So I, I don't even know, man. It, I had, a, I, you know, we both were optimistic in our predictions for the quakes this season. I really thought, you know, this could be the year, but with every passing game, it looks less and less likely. So is Almeida on the hot seat? I, I think he is. I, I definitely do. Um, and I do definitely think there is some fraudulence. I think you could very well make an argument. You can make a very solid argument that he has been a fraud in MLS. And, uh, if he got another job in MLS, which I honestly don't think he'll want to, I think he'll go back to central or South America. I don't, I honestly don't know if he would do much better unless he had, you know, a crazy bankroll support like Chirondolo does at LAFC, for example. So, well, Yeah. All right. Well, sorry to hear that, man. It's it, it is tough to to see that because we're only four games into the season, uh, and it shouldn't be such dire situations already. Um, but I, it's not a good year to be me, Justin. Not a good season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know Everton's struggling as well. Um, well, here's my question about MLS because we we talk about okay, it's the league of bangers. Uh, there's always, you know, upsets. There's so many interesting things about MLS. 
I want to know what you think the biggest flaw of MLS is, because to me, it is the goalkeeping. Uh, aside from maybe promotion relegation, but uh, because that that's just never going to happen. But we're talking about, you know, on the pitch, I think that, you know, coaching and things like that have definitely been criticized. I don't think it's necessarily top level, but I think it's better than, uh, you know, other people may, may think it is when they look at MLS coaches. To me, the biggest flaw, the worst quality of MLS is the goalkeeping. We talked about it uh, in the Atlanta game, but you could go through so many of these games. I mean, it'd literally be easier to name the games in which there aren't goalkeeping errors than there are, uh, which is a sad statement because goals are obviously everything in football. And when you're making goalkeeping errors and you're allowing goals in that shouldn't be uh, uh, going in, then it, it makes it a lot more difficult uh, to win games. And I think that, you know, as an LAFC fan, uh, I'll say we have have not had a quality goalkeeper in five years until now. This is the first time with Maxime Kripo that we've had a goalkeeper that we could be confident in. And I think that that's the case in many MLS clubs. When you get a goalkeeper, uh, you stick with them for a while uh, if they're quality, as we'll see with, you know, Sean Johnson in New York City or Stefan Fry in Seattle. Uh, these teams will be uh, very good. It was the argument I was making for Chicago earlier. I think having Gago Sanina uh, will be very, very uh, important for them throughout the season. But overall, uh, the goalkeeping quality in this league is very poor and it is evident every single week, uh, unfortunately, in my opinion. So Garrett, do you think that is the problem? Do you think that there's a, a worse flaw for MLS? No, I agree. It's yeah. I'd say off the pitch, Obviously, promotion relegation is is there, but as we know, that's just not going to change. And one other thing that isn't going to change, but I, I also think is a problem with MLS, is the distance that is being traveled because it just means road wins are so few and far between in general yeah. in this league. And, and so much has been said about that, especially if you have a team from the East going to play a team in the West or vice versa. So unless it's, you know, interconference play, which even then, you know, for example, LAFC going to Seattle, that's still like a five hour flight or, you know, some four hour flight. So I think that could be another thing off the off the pitch you could look at where, you know, uh, teams at home are just even more likely to win than in other leagues, such as the Premier League, where they're, you know, major favorites anyway. Um, but you could also say that could be a good thing because teams who are less likely to you know, be a, a really solid team at, at home are, are a bit more likely to. So you're not just seeing the top teams in the league walking over teams on the road all the time. But uh, in terms of on the pitch, I like there's, it's not even close. It has to be goalkeeping. I was ripping on the, the goalkeeping in that Atlanta United game because it was garbage, um, particularly on the Brooks London goal. As I said, don't need to go into it again, but no, I, I totally agree. And, 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 I don't know if there's anything else I could add. Um, a lot of the a lot of the bangers are just they are bangers, most of them, the vast majority. And and they're, you know, even with quality goalkeepers, they're not getting saved. But then there are some goals that are not bangers that should be getting saved, and and a lot of them go in. So I, I do agree with you, Justin. I, I think that would be kind of the, the biggest when you're watching MLS and you're just like, ah, that is not good football. It it's most of the time from the goalkeeping. Yeah, hopefully that will improve uh, soon enough. Uh, I think that it's it's starting to, right? 
because U.S. Uh, historically produces goalkeeping because we have we have athletes in this country, right? Uh, no doubt about that. It's just that they don't always go and play uh, soccer, football, whatever you want to call it. But they, but when they do, often it's a goalkeeper. They have that high hand-eye coordination. So I think that hopefully we can get those quality American goalkeepers uh, into MLS, uh, which is again Gaga Slanita, great example. Um, but speaking of which we can talk about the, the U S uh, world cup qualifying window that we've been f- foreshadowing uh, this episode. It, the first game is going to be against Mexico, uh, which is, I mean, as big of a game as we've had in a long time uh, as U S fans. And the, the roster call up that we got was pretty interesting as well. So Garrett, first let's hear your thoughts on the, uh, on the roster, and then we can give our predicted lineups for Mexico. Yeah, I mean, there's not too many surprises. Um, obviously, we know about some injuries. Uh, Serginho Dest, Brendan Aronson, of course, Weston McKinney, which is, you know, the, the worst of the three by far. Um, huge, huge miss for us. There are a couple names I wasn't expecting to see. I think uh, Jordan Morris, I don't know about that. We were talking about, you know, finally scored for Seattle and whatnot. I still don't know if I would put him in there. Eric Palmer Brown is an interesting one. I I wasn't really expecting to see only two caps. That's the least of anybody who got called up uh, for this window. Um, And and then uh, Horvath coming back in, Sean Johnson, interesting. You know, Matt Turner just moved. And so it's, you know, interesting for him. Is, Is he injured, Justin? I could be wrong there. Sorry, who? Matt Turner. Oh, yes, he is. He is injured. Okay, so then that would make sense. So it's not that surprising. Uh, You know, hopefully there is enough quality uh, in this side, uh, in in this squad to to get the points that we need to secure qualification. And and we'll talk about it in a second. Uh, Our predicted lineups, what we would go with for the game against Mexico. But Justin... What are your insights on uh, this roster? Are there any other names that surprised you other than the ones that I mentioned? Yeah, I mean, Eric Palmer Brown absolutely was surprising. Um, Aaron Long was a little bit surprising as well. Uh, Although, you know, Greg loves his uh, MLS call-ups. But yeah, I was was surprised by both of those. Um, I expected to see John Brooks. Uh, we, we've talked about him previously on this podcast. I think that he is, you know, uh, integral to this, to this team. I think he's our best center back, honestly, and, and a leader as well in that. So I, it hurts me every time I see him out. Uh, the rumors are that he's, uh, doesn't fit with Greg Berhalter's system. He doesn't want to play that system. And so Greg, uh, just is like, fine, I'm not going to call you up then. Uh, which is unfortunate. I mean, these these are not the types of things that you want to hear uh, in your national team between your head coach and your best center back. Uh, so it, it's unfortunate. Um, we did get George Bello coming in to replace Dest, as you said, who got injured. Uh, so that is, you know, Bello is a good player, but it's a bit confusing to me. I mean, Dest is a right back. Why are we bringing in a left back to cover him? Why are we not bringing in Shaq Moore, who is a right back and yeah. is available? Uh, it doesn't make much sense to me there. 
Um, Mark McKenzie also is a quality option at center back who I would have taken over Eric Palmer Brown or Aaron Long. We know that Chris Richards is injured, who normally I would have uh, brought in as well, but not, not an option there. So, yeah, and, and as you say, Morris is, man, I mean, he's just not USMT level anymore, is he? Uh, he gets yeah. one goal and he's, he's back in the team. Uh, I, I don't know. I think that, yeah, as we said earlier, I would have, I would like to have seen Milholovic or at least somebody get called in uh, as a replacement for Aronson, who we found out now is definitely unavailable for, for uh, these qualifiers, despite traveling to Texas. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're hearing that they're just going to not give a replacement. I mean, call somebody up, right? It doesn't hurt. Cade Cowell. Um, <laughs> I'd take Cade. I mean, I, literally just call somebody up. Give somebody I'd a take cap. take Cade Cowell over, over nobody. Right. I, I truly, I would. I don't really get the idea of just calling nobody else up. Yeah, um, and, you, but, well, and you don't even have to give them a cap, right? Obviously, these are right. incredibly important games. So unless you're, you know, subbing them on in the 87th minute of a game you're winning 3-0. Like, just having them in the camp is beneficial, uh, for their growth. And, and, you know, if it's, you know, there's plenty of young players who can be getting called up here and getting experience in the camp and with Berhalter's system. So I totally agree. I, I don't understand just not bringing anyone in to replace Aronson. I think that's the first time I've seen that really happen. Uh, and then just quickly on, on the Brooks situation, the, I guess the one kind of silver lining is, you know, the last time we did see him playing for the USMNT, he was god-awful. And we discussed that at the time yeah. on the pod, and I was talking about how he's washed. Um, and so I, I guess maybe Burhalter has seen the, the USMNT Twitter overreactions. He's actually taken them to heart for once. <laughs> so maybe that's why Brooks... But now everybody's like, no, 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 Greg, we, we weren't serious. Like, like, he is still, you know... a. a center back in the top five leagues in Europe and has been playing for this team since before the 2014 world cup. So like, like we were kidding, bring him back please. But yeah, you know, we're, we're going to have to do without him. Yeah. Yeah. It's one that annoys me for sure. Uh, but yeah, when, when two guys don't get along, it, it can cause problems. Uh, so we have three games this window, right? Mexico, Panama, Costa Rica, uh, obviously Mexico is just so much bigger uh, than the other two Panama. It's a big game, uh, especially if we were to lose to Mexico, but Mexico is just everything. I mean, we haven't played a, a bigger game. I mean, the the finals against Mexico are not as big as this one. Uh, we haven't played a game against Mexico this big in years, and we're not going to play one uh, this big in probably a decade because we both automatically qualify for 2026 obviously as we are the hosts and then maybe the next world cup cycle, you know, eight years from now uh, is, is probably when we could get a game of, of this importance. And we might not even, because I mean, this is just extremely close uh, between the two teams with the U S uh, in second place and Mexico in third, both on 21 points. So it is really that second place decider and such a big, big game. And so with that, Garrett, we can, I would like to hear your predicted lineups uh, for this massive game at the Azteca. I think mine's going to be probably a little bit more rogue compared to yours, but I, let's do, I'll do all of mine first. And then I want to hear what I think you'll probably have more of a voice of reason. You're a bit more tapped into the USMNT community. Than hey, I, I had some, I have some picks here too. We'll see. Okay. Okay. So I'm starting 
uh, with Horvath in goal. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Zach Steffen, of course. <laughs> so Steffen and goal. I'm sure you agree with that one, Mr. Reps, uh, Zach. Steffen yeah, on, but you're making a Twitter. little bit more, you're making a little bit more jokes than I would. <laughs> I, I'm nervous. Stefan isn't going to start. No, he will. Surely. Surely. If he doesn't, I just, then Greg, he, that's a sackable offense. I mean, it's his, he just had his first game back uh, right after his back problems. And he's finally back in the team. He started for city against Southampton in the FA cup. Uh, but that was his first start in uh, about a month. I believe it was a little over. Uh, and so. Pep Guardiola just picked like him in an FA cup quarterfinal. He should I agree. be getting picked to play against Mexico. Hey, you're so. not going to get an argument for me, but Greg is, oh man, Greg. I mean, I don't think that Turner should ever start against uh, ahead of Stefan either, but we've seen that many times, haven't we? That's fair. Well, luckily Turner, it, for luckily for Stefan, Turner's not in the squad, so we we know that Turner has. Luckily you know, for the U.S. True, but you know, Greg has some nepotism towards Turner, so Stefan won't have yeah. to compete against that. I still don't see him not starting. Greg can be a madman at times, but I don't think, you know, he has zero IQ. So yeah, I think I'll, so. I'll, I'll, I'm putting, I'm predicting Stefan and goal. I, I'm seeing a, I've, my center back pairing that I think he's going to go. I'm going miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman is my center back pairing. That's mm. just what I kind of see happening. Um, I, I think we'll have Anthony Jedi Robinson at left back. Um, I think I would be shocked if that were not the case. And then right back, as you said, didn't bring in Shaq more uh, brought in Bello instead. Is he going to play Bello right back? Doubt it. So I've gone for Reggie cannon at right back personally. Cause I don't like Yedlin. Uh, we could see him play Yedlin, but you know, anybody who's playing week in week out for inter Miami, I don't really want touching the pitch for the USMNT. Let's be honest. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so, we only have two right backs and two left backs on the on the roster, not only. Yeah, so I've gone for Cannon. So Cannon, both Robinsons, Walker Zimmerman, my midfields. So you're not going to like that I've left out Kellen Acosta, but that's because Tyler Adams is the six, and I think it would be weird to, to play either him or Acosta at the eight because, you know, one of them would have to do it. So I've decided to keep Acosta on the bench. I've put Adams at CDM. Uh, I have Busio and Musa as, as the other wow. two center mids. Um, so that's my midfield three, Busio, Adams, Musa. And then my front three, Pulisic on the left, Gio Reyna on the right. And I've gone for the man we talked about, Jesus Ferreira up top. Wow. Okay. I, I like this. this is, there's some to dissect here. Okay. So... First is I have the same exact back line you do. Uh, Reggie okay. Cannon, uh, Walker Zimmerman, Miles Robinson, and Anthony Robinson, uh, or just Jedi. I don't know why I even call him by his name anymore. Um, but, yeah, I just think – I don't think that you should sure start Obi-Wan Kenobi at left back. Yeah, I don't think there's any chance you start uh, Shaq Moore at left back. I think that's a no. lock for Anthony Robinson. Uh, no, he's been there good. Are... He's been one of our best players recently. No, he's, he's been very good. I think that while there are a bunch of options that we now have at center back, uh, they're not to the same level as Walker Zimmerman and, and Miles Robinson are. Uh, I think that Brown, Long, and, and Sands are all a little bit uh, lower level. Sands is pretty good, but I yeah, I just 
I think that that's a lock. And then on the right, it could be Yedlin. It could be Cannon. Uh, I agree, though, with what you were saying. I just prefer Cannon. Yedlin, I, I was always a big fan of Yedlin way back when he was in Seattle. Um, but ever since he moved to Newcastle, he's he, he went downhill. He felt like he made it and just uh, didn't have any motivation left, it seemed. Um, so, yeah, I have the same exact back line uh, in Stefan and goal, of course. And then the midfield, Adams uh, is a lock, right? Uh, has to be. And then... I have a little bit of an interesting thing. I don't know why you're so against playing a cost at the eight. To me, he is an eight. Uh, that that's his natural position. So I I would I, I play him at the eight. Uh, I think that in a, in a game against Mexico like this, you need a, an experienced guy who's been here before. Uh, he is is he the most capped? I think he is the most capped player on our uh, on our roster this uh, window. Uh, so yeah, he is. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Very, very experienced. He's been here before games over, over Pulisic. Okay. Uh, yeah. Makes sense. I mean, yeah, he's been here, done that. I think that he will not, uh, you know, get out of hand, but he'll, he'll be very strong in not letting us be pushed around at the Azteca, which is very, very important, obviously. Uh, and then I've left out Yunus Musa and I, yep. And I, have Luca de la Torre. Okay. I, he, it was between him and Busio for me. So understandable. I think that the reason for me is that de la Torre is more attacking than Musa. I think that Musa, as well as an eight. So I really have chosen Acosta over Musa more than I have de la Torre over Musa because. I think that Acosta sure. is obviously older. I think he, I think he just fits this game better. I think that Musa is very good in tight spaces, and he uh, is is very technically skilled and ability to play the ball out it is very very high quality. I think that he is a, you know, has a better future than Acosta. Obviously, I think he's gonna become a better player than Acosta ever was. But uh, I just think he's too young for this game. I don't think he's ready to step into this. Uh, which I know may be controversial. I love Yunus Musa. I think he's a very quality player, but in Kellen Acosta just protecting uh, Adams and the back line and just being that link uh, is, is going to be crucial as well. And then Luca De La Torre, I think his ball progression uh, is going to be very, very important. And his, uh, his ambition, ambition, I think, is crucial here because he'll be looking for uh, those difficult balls, those line-splitting passes, that uh, maybe Musa doesn't attempt as more. Uh, Musa's more uh, calm and he'll play the easier pass to keep possession where Luca De La Torre will be ambitious and, and try and play a difficult ball. And I think that that's what we're going to need with Adams and Acosta being a more defensive eight, uh, as you were alluding to earlier. And then, yes, uh, front three is Reyna, of course, Pulisic, of course. I think they have to both start. Uh, with, you know, Reyna being back from injury. Finally, Pulisic healthy uh, in great, great form. I don't think that you start Weya or Areola or more. I mean, I just don't think you start any of those players. Uh, and I think that, you know, Aronson is a loss, but I think that if you have Weya coming off the bench, maybe it's not so bad because they're pretty similar levels. Yeah. Uh, and so you're, you're losing on losing out on maybe a different type of player. Uh, but I think we'll be able to manage and neither of us have Ricardo Pepe starting up front, which is interesting to me because I think that that is probably the, the most popular pick. I have Jordan Piafok starting up interesting. front. Interesting. The reason I do, 
uh, is just because of his physicality. I think that he is much stronger than any other striker on this on this roster, right? I mean, stronger That's than fair. Pepe, stronger than Ferreira. I think that they're they're more technical players than Pfock is, but I think when you're at the Azteca, you need to be strong. You need to be able to win balls in the air, which I think he's the best at. Uh, and I think that he it, it can can not get pushed around by the Mexican center backs. I think he'll be able to hold his ground in the 18-yard box, uh, which is something that I think that Pepe and Ferrer will struggle a little bit more with, which is why I think he'll get the start. That's fair. Uh, I, I just went with Ferreira because, you know, as we talked about, off the back of a hat trick, you need players who are going to rise to the occasion in this game. You know, players who are high on confidence. You don't want people coming in as kind of shells on themselves and, and just kind of shrinking, not really, you know, getting into the game and having an impact. But your your decision, you know, your thought process there, I, I think makes a lot of sense. Same for the midfielders. I mean, Busio is obviously a bit of a rogue shout, and I knew that when I made the selection. I just think his energy, you know, youthfulness, yeah. as we said, um, and, and it was, I was very torn between him and him and Luca De La Torre. Cause I do really like what Luca De La Torre offered in the last window. I thought, you know, he, he pleasantly surprised me. I haven't been, yeah. I wouldn't say I wasn't a fan of him, but I just didn't, you know, really see exactly what he could bring. And I think that last window, he did a good job of showing me, okay, this is, you know, this is a player and this is definitely someone who can be useful. So, I mean, I think both of those lineups are, are, you know, relatively sensible. Um, and, you know, as much as these injuries suck and not having Weston McKinney sucks, I, I still think going through those lineups, we, we should have enough to not bottle it again and get knocked out of the World Cup, knock on wood. So, well, with that, Garrett, uh, we've given our our lineups, what we think, uh, we've talked about the roster. All that's left to give is our predictions for this Mexico game. Uh visiting the Azteca is Pulisic going to get his first Azteca goal is Reina getting his first Azteca goal will we be able to, to find the win Garrett let us know I'm gonna go conservative and say 1-1 draw and we take the point happily wow okay uh you have a prediction on who gets that one goal I think Gio Reyna is going to assist Pulisic and we get the first Azteca goal for, for Pulisic. If Michael Bradley can score at Azteca, Pulisic can do it. <laughs> yeah, that was a hell of a goal for Michael Bradley. Oh, yeah, it? it was. Yeah, it was. Legendary goal. Uh, okay. I, I also am going to go with two goals, but I'm going to go 2 0 to the United States. Okay. I like the confidence. I think that we're going to come prepared to play. I don't think that Mexico are, are in the best position for, uh, as well. I think obviously they have, you know, more fit players than we do. We're losing a lot of players as we've been discussing, but I think that, I think that us is going to come prepared. I think that Reyna, I, I think Reyna will not get an assist. I think he'll get a goal. Uh, so I think he'll get, he'll get one of the two. Uh, if I had to say the other one, I would say a cost or Luca de Torres, somebody in the midfield is going to get one. But I, yeah, I just, I feel that we're ready. I feel that we're prepared to go in and redeem ourselves because Pulisic is going to remember that anybody who played in that game is going to remember four years ago. uh, And they're going to know that this is the game that really 
uh, can catapult them into the World Cup. And so I expect a very, very hungry U.S. side to go and win 2-0 at the Azteca. That would be amazing. I like the manifestation, and I hope you're right, Justin. I really do. And with that, that brings this episode to a close this week. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at U90Football. Next week's episode, we will be delaying until after the World Cup qualifying window has ended. We will have all the reaction from that. Hopefully, celebratory episode, right, Justin? So uh, next Thursday, we will see you for that episode. Um, So thank you again for listening. We'll see you then. Uh, Have a great rest of your week.